0: Beloved Church of Christ, beginning our service before the Lord, let us stand and affirm the promise related to the door of our hope that the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this once again privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined the worship of your holy name, and so allow your inheritance in the name of the covenant of blood to be lifted to heights higher than us, and to break all evil and sin that binds us. May in this service be cursed as before, all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, oppression, destruction, ignorance, covetousness, all of this, let it depart from the tents of your holy people and stand, Lord, in the place of your rest, you and the ark of your greatness. And may your saints be clothed in your salvation and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and allow us to, to find your holy countenance. I present this service into your divine arms. Guide it with your uplifted hand. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated. Peace to you, saints of God, as we have just sang, so that our humble can... Our soul can be humbled and when I come out here my soul is truly humbled. Peace to you to all who are found in Christ Jesus who have prepared their hearts to hearing the word of the Lord and those who live and tremble before the reverent word of our God. The word that I will speak today is taken from a series of sermons of our pastor brother Akadi, and this is the calling of those who have loved loved the Word of God. And for us as members of the body of Christ to fulfill all that he has written about us, each time pastor tells us that we will continue our study in the direction of our cooperation with the Holy Spirit and what we must do on our end in order to receive the right to the authority to set aside our former way of life in order to be clothed in a new way of life. And I will read a place of scripture that is familiar to all. This is um, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24. That you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. This place of scripture defines first and foremost our calling. Our calling that is comprised of us being able to take off our old man with his works to renew our thinking with the spirit of our mind, and this means our desires, and with the spirit of our mind so that we can then continue this process of being clothed or clothing our body into the new man. For the fulfillment of this commandment, there are three verbs or commands. This is to set aside, renew, and to clothe. And of course, we are going to firmly remember and know that uh, that 2,000 years ago, Christ had overcome and clothed each holy person into His resurrection. This victory is already fulfilled. First, he had immersed us into His death. And then the victory is done, and this is the work of the past. However, the desire itself of the Holy Spirit for the Church to, is for Church to remember this, independent of the fact that each person, each person of God, endures certain battles, certain falls, but he must know that having lost the battle does not mean that he will not win the war having been found in Christ Jesus. Jesus sits at the right-hand side of the Father, and God has placed the church in Christ himself. If he said to his son, sit at the right-hand side of me until I place the enemies at your feet, this means to sit is to reign. But to rule can only can only be done through the word that we are offered through the Holy Spirit, and we are called to be found in Christ Jesus. And as we have previously noted, to be clothed in the new man created by God in righteousness and holiness of truth, we, first of all, must set aside the former way of life of our sinful nature, our old man, which is corrupt in his deceitful lusts. And this, of of course, happens in the death of Christ. When we are immersed into his death, When we are immersed in the death, we do not endure everything that Christ himself had endured because there is a difference between that death in which Christ will be immersed and that death in which we will be immersed, having been found in him in his death. Different things happen to us. With him, there was something completely different when he was immersed into the death, suffering for each of us for our sins. Whereas for us, on the contrary, we are rid of our sins and he on the contrary in this death suffered for our sins having taken them upon himself we are closed in the death of Christ and we are rid of our sins so in other words they become um, they become without strength that's why it's important for us to be found in him therefore when we set aside our former way of life of the old man studying and conforming with the death of Christ and then we can receive the right to renew the sphere of our thinking with the spirit of our mind, which is the mind of Christ in our spirit or wisdom in the face of the Holy Spirit. And through our renewed thinking, we could begin the process of clothing ourselves into our new man. We, each time when we hear this, we see, we must, we must, but the start is already given, and there's a certain category of people that are in the process for some time. This is not just today is the call and today this marathon has happened. This is not so. It has continued for some time now and it is likely coming to its end soon. It is from deciding these three questions will depend whether we turn ourselves into vessels of mercy or vessels of wrath or rather, will the salvation that was given to us in the format of a deposit be fulfilled or will we waste it if we were to waste it, our names would be blotted out of the Book of Life forever. In continuing our study, we stopped to examine the question, what conditions are necessary to fulfill so that we, through our already renewed thinking, again, through our already renewed thinking, so the process is coming to an end so that we could begin the process of being clothed in the powers of the new man created by god in christ jesus and righteousness and holiness of truth and here i want to add uh, one definition given to us by pastor which at that time which uh, this sermon was talked about it um it only recently we heard it but for me it's very important let us remember that only that person who desires to hear the word of god looks into this word lives according to this word dwells in this word, and the word of God dwells in him, will be able to withstand in battle against the ancient snake and escape the snares of devil in order to inherit the salvation of his body through the redemption of Christ. Pay attention to this. Though he who desires to hear, he who looks into this word, he who lives according to this word, who dwells in this word, and the word of God will dwell in this person, then this person is going to be able to endure in battle. And therefore, to desire, lives in, looks at, dwells in, and can, is able to, then a person will be able to withstand in battle. And we have noted that the new man that we must be clothed into is our inner or innermost man that was born from the unfading seed of the Word of God, who according to nature, initially is righteous, holy, unfading and undying. Although for a time being it is in the corrupt body, it is in the fourth dimension of the seen and eternal realm Thus, in this manner, our new man carries the dimension of eternity and time. And therefore, he does not depend on time, and he rules over time, given that he looks at the unseen, lives by the unseen, and strives toward the unseen. Thanks to this, he calls the inexistent in time inheritance of Christ as already existent. And we can look at this through our renewed thinking. Through our imaginative thinking, we can consistently focus our attention on it. The category of people that deprive themselves of the ability to accept this imaginative thinking uh, deprive themselves of a spiritual growth. I understand that if a person does not have a renewed thinking, and if he begins to hear some kind of images, then for them, these things, uh, he begins to shake in his, uh, shake in his intellect. But a disciple begins to look at this and say, what does this mean? And Christ did not speak without parables or proverbs. He spoke in them, and even ordinary people had listened to him who had understood him. What does this mean? So, proclaiming with our lips the treasures of faith contained in the heart as an unfading inheritance, pure and imperishable. Therefore, the right to be clothed in the powers of our new man is the right to rule over time because without ruling over time, it is impossible to be clothed in the garments of truth to fulfill the perfect justice of our Heavenly Father. And these commandments will tell us when and how to be clothed into the new man. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verses 5 through 7, he who keeps his command will experience nothing harmful, and a wise man's heart discerns both time and judgment, because for every matter there is a time and judgment, though the misery of man increases greatly, for he does not know what will happen, so who can tell him when it will occur? Who will tell him? Therefore, according to this verse and other places of Scripture, it follows that without ruling over time, expressed in the knowledge of what will happen, it will be impossible to be clothed in garments of righteousness to fulfill the perfect justice of our Heavenly Father. And when examining the nature of the new man, we decided to look at the process of being clothed in the power of the new man from seven different different angles and seven virtues, although many more exist. And so, the new man is clothed in garments of salvation. He is a man clothed in clothes of justice. He is crowned with the crown of the bridegroom. He is decorated with the ornaments of a bride. He is dressed in a wedding garment, He is dressed in fine linen, clean and bright, and He has accepted a representative force, Yahweh of Hosts. When examining these virtues, we highlighted the fact that all of these virtues are located in one another, find themselves in one another, come from one another, support one another, and serve to ratify the truth of one another. In the book of Isaiah, we found four virtues. Let us remind ourselves of them. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels, For as the earth brings forth its bud, as the garden causes the things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. This was Isaiah chapter 61, verses 10 through 11. And so, here we see, for as the earth brings forth its bud, the same way will be the clothing. And how does... The garden caused things that are sown in it to spring forth. So this is a process. If it begins from sowing, then the second part will happen. These are the garments of salvation, the robe of righteousness, the crown of a bridegroom, and the jewels of a bride. So this is the new man in that which whom we will be clothed him, he will be the glory which God is going to reveal before all the nations. This must be seen by all. First, we have noted that the combination in one person of these virtues and regalia of power, in one man, especially in the combination of the crown of the bridegroom and jewels of the bride, truly surpasses so the abilities of our mind. For the female gender, she knows her role, and for the male gender, he knows his. And this is a mutual work. This is going to be. This will be in men and women in whom this is fulfilled. Second, in this prophetic saying, there are virtues that are grown by God in the heart of a person, the same way the earth grows its plants and a garden grows what is sown in it. Meaning, we are practically clothed in that fruit in which we grow in our heart and in another. Third, joy in the Lord in this prophecy is one of the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit that is called to define the kingdom of heaven in the pure heart of man. When Christ said that in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is in you, this kind of fruit of joy in the heart of man is the result of harvest that yielded the kingdom of heaven in his heart, ascending in power. Which was previously in the sowing of an unfading seed that was planted in tears in the heart of this man. As it is written, Psalms 126, verses 5 through 6 Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his shoes with him. These are one of the same people. For some reason, at one point they were weeping, and at another point they were joying. They were rejoicing. This means that this is necessary to proclaim that which God has done for us and to look at that which we see, look at continually who we are in Christ Jesus only from this position of view. And we may be in this in this day, we may be in difficult circumstances in life, but we must continue to look at not what we see in reality. Uh, when we personally proclaim and not someone, we begin to believe personally and not through somebody else. This is that seed that we are able to to fertilize ourselves with, because our heart can be fertilized by ourselves by hearing the Word of God. Messengers of God calls, uh, call us to this, and they demonstrate how it is necessary to do so. They uncover principles, but each of us must individually, uh, individually do this. As soon as we hear who God is for us, we must act in this at the same time. What Maria, when Maria had done, when she had heard from Mary. What she did was, when she saw the angel, she accepted from him that word that she had heard, although she may not understand it. She accepted it in her heart. We can, at any time when we hear the word of God, we can say, let it be to me according to your word. And God, seeing our genuine heart, is going to to fulfill his part of the work. And we have already fulfilled our part. We have prepared our heart for hearing the Lord. And if a person has not prepared his heart, he is never going to be able to say, let it be to me according to your word. He is going to think, interesting, well, what's going to be further on? What's going to happen?
1: what will happen
0: is what will happen in stories and fables so being clothed into the new man is being clothed in the fruit of the spirit brought by us that is called to yield in our heart the power and order of the kingdom of heaven and righteousness peace and joy in the Holy Spirit in a certain format we have already examined the core that is in the garments of salvation and have stopped to examine the robes of righteousness specifically the size of the price that is necessary to pay for the right to be clothed in a robe of righteousness and we have already looked at six conditions and have stopped to examine the seventh condition the seventh price for the right to be clothed in a robe of righteousness to fulfill the justice of god this is being clothed in the redemption that is due to being observant of the lord's Pesach according to the statute set by god himself So, to clothe ourselves into the garments of redemption and observing Pesach, must be done according to the statute set by God. Jesus said to his disciples, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. This is talking about the teaching that is contained in the truth about the blood of Christ and the truth about the blood of the cross of Christ. Because if a person eats of the Pesach but does not understand this teaching and does not uh, comprehend it, then he eats in condemnation to himself. And so John chapter 6 verses 53 through 58. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. My flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. My blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. And so, to eat is to proclaim. We have noted that when we, we proclaim at the time of sowing and at the time of harvest, when we proclaim with with tears, and if our hearts have been prepared to accepting the Word of God, then in doing so, we, we accept the seed and we grow it. And when it grows, it is going to bring us joy. Because proclaiming victory without joy is impossible. We then proclaim We then proclaim full redemption. We have noted that each detail of the yearly celebration of Pesach, presented in the taking of the Lord's Supper, points to the final freedom from the bondage of sin and death in the body. And having been found in the body, the Holy Spirit desires and has appointed for us to be rid of the slavery of sin and death. So the result in our life from the program of the fallen cherubim. He is going to try to attack us, but we are no longer servants of Him. We are going to be free from Him. And that's why we're going to be able to overcome Him. Only those who are free will be able to overcome. The righteous will be freed from the Lord. In the future, the final freedom from the fading body and deadly soul, which, thanks to the worthy partaking of the basic lamb in time, will be clothed in incorruptibility and immortality, in the Pesach Statute, worthy partaking of the Pesach Lamb consisted of meeting the conditions of certain kinds of clothing that carries the readiness to fulfill God's justice in certain kinds of conditions necessary for the worthy partaking of the Pesach Lamb. Non-compliance of these conditions and any other aspects did not free man from the execution of the sentence of death. Likewise, complying to the statutes of Pesach made a person a partaker of the production of God judgment over the firstborn of Egypt Exodus chapter 12 verse 12 for I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt both man and beast and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment I am the Lord Brother Arkady has explained to us that this is referring to animals that both beasts and man, the firstborn of both beasts and man. According to these regulations we know that the firstborn of Egypt that Egyptians so heavily relied on were the gods and deities of Egypt because our dependence on something or on someone defines our deity, our trust, and our worship. And therefore, the firstborn of Egypt represented an image of the soul of a man who declined to lose his soul in the death of the Lord Jesus so that he could die for his nation, his household, and his personal carnal desires and preferences that went against the desires of God. And therefore, if we do not fulfill God's justice by condemning our soul to death in the worthy practice of the Lord's Pesach according to the statutes set in place by God, we will never be a part of the descendants of Abraham's faith. And consequently, we will never be able to be clothed in the robe of righteousness in the face of our new and innermost man. Because the observance of Pesach in leather garments that God had made for the redemption of the first Adam, and of course in him all of mankind, even before the creation of the earth, was intended by God to be the blessed fate of all those who believe. Now, long ago, we had heard how Pastor had said that he had foreseen this before the creation of the earth. If you just, simply just think about this, before the creation of the earth, so, this is the characteristic and capability of God. To see us, to see our reaction. To see our reaction. Our reaction is then going to define our sanctification. Because specifically in the worthy partaking of Pasek, God received the ability to execute judgment over His sworn promises, including the fulfillment of His judgment over His enemies, the unclean, the world, abject poverty, and all kinds of sicknesses and disease that plague His chosen remnants. And for the unfading treasures of the Feast of Pesach, containing within it belonging to God's people, to God's righteousness, to become our inheritance, Scripture imputed to us the need to fulfill ten conditions or rather to be in these ten conditions, to dwell in them simultaneously. And this is, first and foremost, the choice and separation the basic lamb. This is to remove all leaven from our house. You know, a house is where we ourselves. And that leaven that we are talking about, we are talking about uh, the home that existed in that time in which they lived in, in Egypt. But in today's day and age, the house is us. When we were in Israel with my wife, we ended up at Pesach, and we, when we came into the store, I saw that some sh- the some uh, shelves were covered with black plastic, and I asked, "Why is this so? Is this not being sold?" They asked. They told me, "No, this is just uh, just the items that have leaven, and right now there's a, a feast going on, and we can't sell them." I thought, "Oh, how." oftentimes we had done this when we didn't see what was inside of us or we would try to hide from others so that they see what is inside of us, that which we must get rid of, that sin which we must get rid of. Therefore, to sprinkle the blood of the pesic lamb over the beams and doorposts, it's not necessary to bake the whole pesic lamb over fire, to gird yourself with a belt, to put shoes on your feet, to contain a staff in your hand, to eat the whole lamb, eat the pesic lamb with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, and to eat the basic lamb in haste. In previous sermons, we have already examined nine conditions that we have stopped to examine the triumphant condition in which God's redemption in man was called to triumph over sin and death. This is to eat the basic lamb in haste. Exodus chapter 12, verse 11, And thus you shall eat it, with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. The element of haste when eating the Pesach was so important that it is mentioned in Scripture numerous times as an unchanging law. It is this particular element that was involved in the exodus out of Egypt and this particular element was elevated to a rank of special sign. So this was a sign of that must that the sign that must remain upon each of us which we must feel and see continually given that the circumcised Israelites did not have the sign upon themselves. They did not see it, but they knew of it. This is a sign of the covenant that must remain on the body after we are going to eat of the basic lamb in haste. This sign is when the skin is ripped off a person as while he is alive. He has left a mark on him for the rest of his life. All his life, all his days he will remember this event that practically is was blessed but it is going to to be done in, great, um, in a great battle and in a difficult state. Deuteronomy 16.3 You shall eat no leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread with it. That is the bread of affliction. For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste. That you may remember the day in which you came out of the land of Egypt all the days of your life. Brother Arkadi had also rem- reminded us that a person who will truly be rid of his old man will forever remember the day of his deliverance. And he is going to be a very humble person. Nothing is going to be able to, um, to boast him Uh, praise toward him will not work after after he has taken off his skin alive and had allowed it to be ripped off and for himself to be presented as a living sacrifice to God. Therefore, the word haste, aside from its literal meaning, in the dimension of time means hurry, rush, not be late. And in Hebrew, in the dimension of the spirit, it contains a completely different meaning. Specifically, to haste is to take on the yoke To carry your cross, endure suffering, clothed in the robe of a disciple, clothed in weapons of light and the powers of the doctrine of Christ, or strengthened with all power according to the might of God's glory, to renew your thinking, to meditate on the supreme law, to listen to the words of God with fear and trembling, and to stand guard, not damaging the word of God. Considering that eating the Pesach is a guarantee of the new law, which is symbolically made in the number 8, including these, we decided to look at eight signs that contain the meaning of haste, although there exist many more. it will be important for us to look at least eight, these eight principles. In a certain format, we have already examined six signs that define haste and the worthy partaking of the Pasic lamp, and we have stopped to examine the seventh sign. The seventh sign... Eating the Lord's basic and haste in Hebrew is to be strengthened with all power according to the might of God's glory with all patience, generosity, and joy. Colossians 1, verse 11. Strengthened with all might according to His glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy. We have noted that in Scripture, God's power that we are called to be strengthened by eating the Lord's basic and haste due to the innumerable possibilities of God, are contained in a variety of His works that demonstrate the power and glory of God. And therefore, to be strengthened by the power of God, we began to examine God's glory that is evident in the manifold and the multifunctional powers of God that are the works of God in the hearts of those saints that eat the Lord's Pasic in haste. So, who worthily partake it. We have noted that strength in Hebrew has plenty of meanings. There are many different varieties of it, and here are some of them. Strength is power, strength, might, right, authority, rule, sign, covenant, shine, designation. The attributes of royal power, the whole armor of God, the host of heaven, elements of the universe, the many graces and bounties of God, the many of god's greatness and grandeur many innumerable and immeasurable powers of god a lot of power and fortresses the ability or opportunity to do justice and righteousness the ability to spread and expand and miracles and wonders We have noted that only upon cooperating with the specific strengths of God operating in us and through us, we will be able to testify that we are eating the Lord's Pesach in haste, which gives us the opportunity to withstand the ambitions of our personal Egypt. So that exiting from dependence on our Egypt with the people of God, we do not carry it out with us. To the wilderness and not fall away as bones in the wilderness like what happened with the people of Israel. They had exited out of the authority of Egypt but carried out their own Egypt on their shoulders. This was their idol.
1: An idol is, uh, t-
0: is anything that takes up precedence over our God. And these these Israelites expressed the lust of their soul when they disregarded the man of heaven and murmured and cried that they couldn't feed their soul with meats, melons, garlic and onions. And so to be strengthened by the powers of His glory, it is necessary to fulfill one condition, to abide in all patience and long suffering with joy. Otherwise, We will never be able to come out of Egypt and stand against the powers of Egypt that surround us. Also, we will be unable to escape the judgment of God in the executions that are doomed to Egypt. So why did the first plagues come upon Israel? Because Egypt and their desires and their idols... Was in them, Egypt was inside of them. They were in their insides, in their inner man. That's why the plagues that had fell upon Egypt also fell upon the people. And to give up dependence on our soul and withstand the powers of the soul and the subject of corrupt lusts, and in this manner escape the judgment of God in the executions that are doomed to our soul. It was necessary for us to examine what is to be understood as the powers of God contained in the power of His glory, and. Only then can we examine how do we abide in all patient and long-suffering with joy so that we can strengthen ourselves with these manifold powers of God. If we do not know these manifold powers of God, we will be incapable of uh, being built up in strength. And so, what is to be understood as the powers of God contained in the power of His glory? We have come to a conclusion that the multifunctional powers of God are defined by the manifold works of God. The manifold works demonstrate to us the manifold strength of God. Say to God, how awesome are your works, though the greatness of your power or strength your enemies. Sh- shall submit themselves to you through the greatness of your power. And the main enemy that is called to submit to us when we work with the greatness of God's powers is our soul, which by nature is bound to its nation, its household, and its genetic preferences and desires. And again, this is our main enemy that is called to submit to us when we do work with the greatness of God's powers. And this is our soul our soul that by nature is bound to its nation household and corrupt desires and its genetic preferences genetic preferences that we have received from the vain life of our fathers and for these enemies to submit to us we must gain a full hold against them using the manifold and multifunctional powers of God presented in scripture in his manifold works and so the works of God done through the greatness of his power inspire fear and awe before God. And each individual person is called to behold in his life these results when he eats the Lord's Pesach in haste. Because in this haste that revealed itself, in the midnight darkness of Egypt, God smote the firstborn of Egypt, robbed Egypt, and destroyed Egypt's best army. But at this time, the Israelites were healed from all forms of illnesses and viruses that were brought on by Egypt. He enriched them with the best riches of Egypt and made them free from the bondage of Egypt. In this manner, in the manifold and multifunctional powers of God, contained in the power of God, is revealed a great deed of God's redemption, showing us who God is for us and what he has done for us. The question is how can we be strengthened by the great powers of God in the greatness of his glory? We then must ask what we must do to inherit all that God has done for us in Christ Jesus. And so in a certain format we have already examined several definitions that yielded the nature and character of specific powers of God produced in His people and through His people. We have stopped to study the next power or strength of God that is called to be expressed in the heart and through the heart of a person who has been redeemed by God in the multitude of mercies and bounties of God. The multitude of mercies and bounties, this is the power of God. This is His mercy. The next power of the Lord in the heart of a person redeemed by God is in the multitude of mercies and bounties of God. But as for me, I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy. In fear of you, I will worship toward your holy temple. Psalms chapter five verses four through eight. We have noted that the multitude mercies of God expressed in the bounties of God are the transcendent powers of God through which we are called to clothe ourselves into the new man. The transcendent powers that we understand these are the powers that are not found in the dimension of this visible realm. This is not carnal, but it is supernatural powers and through these multiple powers of God express the multitude of his mercies to enter into the house of God it is necessary for our heart to gain the right not only to rule and work with these powers but the right to be in these powers to dwell in them and you will accept power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to accept this power means to dwell in this power And this kind of right to dwelling in the powers of God is expressed in the multitude of mercies of God that yield the great redemption of God, and it is the fear of the Lord that is called to enact and to enable all of these powers behind it. In order to blot out our iniquities before the face of God, this is the main foundation, because specifically the fear of the Lord in the face of God's wisdom yielding the mind of Christ in the heart of man, stands at the head of the multitude of mercies of God and is their immediate commander. In the Psalm 50, which we know very well, there are the wonderful words that we find, a wonderful revelation, a wonderful prayer that we have been called to pray with. If we understand it, Pastor Akadi said, and if we pray according to it from it, from our name, as it is presented for each of us to be able to take and arm ourselves with it, this is Psalms chapter 51. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is always before me. Against you... You only have I sinned, and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak, and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities." Created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. I had thought about this before. Where did David have broken bones? I did not see in scripture for him to have these broken bones. But nonetheless, this is referring to that which we rely on. Each of us is individual, and due to our individuality in our physical body, we have a skeleton. Of course, we see one another, and understanding this, we never think about this that each of us has a skeleton, but each one of us has it. Same way, uh, the our spiritual man has a skeleton. How strong he is, uh, his spiritual man will be just as strong. You know, when the strength of a person is hidden, not there where God would like to see it, then He does the following. When Moses, according to his own desire, according to his understanding, he was, he had killed one Egyptian. He ended up in the position of a shepherd, and as we remember, over certain years, certain amount of time, um, he had tended to the sheep, not of his, his own, but his father-in-law. And then after about 40 years, he went to the mountain of God, Horeb. And this is where he met with God, in the burning bush. For 40 years, he understood how the bush needed to be burned, and this had enticed him. And when the dialogue began with him, then here all of his bones were contrite. God had shown him, show me your hand. He showed him. He saw that they were defiled, and he grew scared. He said, "This is your righteous act. Put it behind your, put it behind your thigh, and it was will be made all right." Same thing that had happened with the staff. He threw it. He picked it up by the tail. This, uh, this is your tongue. These are your words. A person. He had lost everything in the wilderness, but he gained something new. He gained a meek tongue, which is the tree of life. And as it is written, Moses... Moses
1: was well-spoken. And it came to
0: this point. And better be clay in His hands than marble or granite. Because having started His work, He concluded it until the end. And God will complete His work in our lives until the end. The phrase, created me a clean heart, focuses on our cooperation with God in the cleansing of our conscience from dead works by the blood of Jesus Christ for service to a living and true God. Hebrews 9, verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? We have noted that recognizing our iniquity before God is, of course, an important step. However, for God to blot out our iniquity, recognizing our iniquity before God by itself is not enough. Because for the blotting out of our iniquities, we must cooperate with the multiple powers of God in the subject of His mercies contained in the inheritance of the blood of the cross of Christ. It is this unique cooperation with the multitude of God's mercies expressed in His innumerable bounties that created a prayer that defines the haste needed to eat of the basic lamb. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to the multitude of your mercies. Blot out my transgressions. The thing is that only after blotting out our transgressions through our cooperation with the multitude of the Lord's mercies, we will be made worthy of God and will receive the right to enter before the face of the Lord to ratify his interests and his perfect justice. Blotting out of I- iniquities occurs when our skin, or our skin is ripped off alive. Our feet, our insides are washed. We are presented upon the altar as a sacrifice. And so to practice God's perfect justice, it is necessary for mercy and truth to bind our necks so that these virtues could be written on the tablets of our heart and become the state of our hearts, thanks to which we could receive favor in the eyes of God and man. That's why mercy and truth must bind our
1: neck.
0: This is written in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 3 through 4. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. We have noted that according to the image or the symbol of our soul, which, um, or the symbol of our neck, in which we are called to bind, that we are called to bind to mercy and truth is our cooperation with the sovereign and perfect will of God. These are two sovereign people, God and man, and each one must do this in sovereignty, without pressure. It is a personal decision. In the practice, this means to submit our will to the perfect will of God from mentioned in Scripture. And to do this, a person must see this. Whereas engraving mercy and truth on the tablet of our hearts is the cooperation of our wise and reasonable heart with the wisdom and mind of God, which in practice means to prepare the soil of our heart to accept the seed of the gospel word of the kingdom of heaven. You might think, oh, how simple is this? But this is far from it. This is a process. This is a long process. It takes time to come to this. Exodus chapter 31, verse 6, And I have put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans. You might want on the contrary. We had to communicate with one. I wish you wisdom, brother. But it turns out here, God says, I have put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans that they may make all that I have commanded you. We're not talking about foolish here. A wise heart is one that has prepared itself to hear the word of God, meaning if it has prepared itself, it has prepared itself, herself for obedience in order to hear the word and immediately fulfill it. This is going to tell, tell us that we have heard the word. And so the teaching about wisdom that we are called to bind around our neck can manifest itself only under the strict boundaries of truth Yielded by the principles of the written Word of God, instead of some kind of created pseudo religious images, as well as waste from our intellect, which has no right or the ability to comprehend mercy and truth in the transcendent Word of God. And so, for God to be able to reach out His golden scepter towards us in the subject of His favor, thanks to which we receive the right to ratify His justice over the just and the unjust, the virtues of mercy and truth are supposed to not only become the possession of our hearts, but also its state that serves as the definition of the Kingdom of Heaven in our hearts. In relation to this, we have once again decided to refresh our memories with these questions that are well known to us. What character does Scripture put in the properties of God's mercies, which are an expression of His great power defining God's favor toward man in the image of His golden scepter? Second, what purpose in our worship is called to fulfill the great powers of God in the subject of God's mercies? Third, what price must we pay that the multitude of God's mercies become our property and our state? And fourth, according to which results shall we judge that God truly stretched out to us the multitude of His mercies in the image of His golden scepter that granted us His great powers? And so the first, this is the mystery and nature of the worthiness of God's mercies, the purpose of mercy and the relationship between man and God, the right, the price for the right to contain God's mercies, and the result of us having the mercies of God. When examining the first question, what character does Scripture put in the properties of God's mercies, which are an expression of His great power, we came to a conclusion that first, God's mercy as it is, is one of the main names of God, as well as one of His character titles. 2 Corinthians 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies of God of all comfort. Second, the Lord's mercy is God's inheritance that is passed on solely to His children as the heirs of Abraham's faith from from one righteous kind to another righteous kind, from Father to the Son. Third, the Lord's mercy, according to its status, is lifted up over life in the flesh because it is better than life in the flesh. In one of the prayer songs of David, your mercy is better than life. Fourth, the Lord's mercy is one of the diverse manifestations of the goodness of God expressed in His grace which has reigned in the heart of a person, the righteousness that a person has accepted as a gift of grace in the redemption of Christ Jesus. So first, a person according to grace, he accepts righteousness, and then the righteousness of God, through this righteousness in him, in his heart, it reigns upon cooperation with these royal truths. Fifth, the Lord's mercy contained in God's goodness is one of the definitions and manifestations of God's truth that has been pre-designed for the vessels of mercy that walk in truth. Psalms 89.1 I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known your faithfulness to all generations. This saying is unique in that man who sings of the Lord's mercies, who, who praises the Lord's mercies, contained in his goodness, receive the opportunity to trumpet these mercies in the limits of God's truth, which points to the fact that a person who trumpets mercies and praises them as truth is in God's goodness and protects himself from falling away. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell severity, but towards you a goodness if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. Romans chapter 11, verse 22. And in this case, God's goodness is the demonstration of mercy and truth that covers those people who have bound their necks to mercy and truth in the boundaries of the legal framework of truth. We can obviously yell out to God and say, Lord, have mercy upon me, I accept your mercy, and not know anything about the legal framework, the limits of which uh, this mercy must live in, and we must know this, whereas the severity or strictness of God is a demonstration of God's justice and righteousness that spreads over those people that have refused to bind their necks to mercy and truth. Scripture calls these people wicked or stiff-necked, they are foolish and evil people. Psalms 89.14 Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. We have noted that the phrase, mercy and truth go before your face, means that mercy and truth precede the righteousness and justice of God, meaning they go forward, or are justification for man, which allow God to not punish a man for his crimes.
1: Because if...
0: Righteous, the righteousness of God or the verity of God goes forward or goes forth forth. imagine what will happen we will be destroyed but when first the mercy of God goes forth which dwells in the legal framework of our heart it goes forward then we see God's verity but when God's verity sees this it does not see any kind of crimes in us this means that our sins are not imputed to us they are there, but they are not imputed to us, because according to the mercy of God, we are justified, and our sins are blotted out. If we do not prepare our hearts to hear the preached word and truth from the messengers of God, we will not have the ability to turn God's favor upon us. Romans chapter 10 verses 16 through 17. But not all. Heard the good news. Same thing as today. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has trusted in the word from us? Therefore, faith is from hearing, and hearing is from the word of God this place of Scripture is repeated in Isaiah and Deuteronomy and this through the Word of God this faith is spoken by people in this case this was spoken through Isaiah therefore with regard to the question of listening to the Word of God through which we are called to know or enter into the inheritance of God it is necessary each time to make a decision and adjust ourselves not to the role of a critic or inspector but the role of of a student of christ brother Kadi said that those who have placed themselves as inspectors or messengers of god today they are found in perdition and this kind of discipleship always contains the joint daily work between god and man when there is true discipleship and it is the daily work between god and man the role of god is that he as a testator of the inheritance of mercy located in the limits of his truth establishes certain conditions by which we can enter into the inheritance of the mercies that are necessary for us to fulfill these conditions god through his delegated authority sends man his help the holy spirit in the subject of his written word which in this case and joins in what way, with what means, at what time, and in what order to fulfill these conditions. The role of man in his work with God to inherit his mercies is that he, under God's conditions, needs to accept the Holy Spirit as well as help from the Spirit, from those who are sent by God. The means for accepting this kind of help expressed in the inheritance of God's mercies is prayer. Or worship, worship in spirit and truth, because prayer and worship in spirit and truth is simply the right that man gives the heavens to interfere here on earth. And we are called to give God this right only on his established conditions. One of David's prayers written in the 143rd Psalm where he gives God the right to interfere in his life with his mercy and truth will be for us an example of our inheritance. How do we make it so that the mercy of God could be taken up by us and we could be clothed in it in the boundaries of a legal framework because there is no other place where this is possible to do. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplications. In your faithfulness answer me, and in your righteousness do not enter into judgment with your servant. For in your sight no one living is righteous. For the enemy has persecuted my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me dwell in darkness like those who have long been dead. Therefore, my spirit is overwhelmed within me. My heart within me is distressed. I remember the days of the old. I meditate on all your works. I muse on the work of your hands. I spread out my hands to you. My soul longs for you like a thirsty land. Answer me speedily, O Lord. My spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me, lest I be like those who go down into the pit. Cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning. For in you do I trust. Cause me to know the way in which I should walk. For I lift up my soul to you. Deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies. In you I take shelter. Teach me to do your will. For you are my God. Your spirit is good. Lead me in the land of uprightness. Revive me, O Lord, for your name's sake. For your righteousness' sake, bring my soul out of trouble. In your mercy, cut off my enemies and destroy all those who afflict my soul. For I... your servant and so to inherit or to study God's mercies in this song prayer in the limits of truth it is first necessary to establish the reason as to why David brought this prayer to God the reason why this prayer was released according to its content was because a certain category of enemies that confronted David These enemies were stronger than David. You know, in our enemies, he at this time uh, had the enemies that were inside him, not outside him. And he had seen them, recognized him. The Holy Spirit allowed David to see this in his own flesh, in personified sin and in personified death which stood behind the flesh. And to be heard by God, it was necessary for David to present God a foundation or a right that could serve for God as enough proof to interfere in David's life with his mercy and truth. From David's perspective, this kind of proof in this prayer contained 10 different arguments that David brought to God, saying, hear me, because of your righteousness and truth, because I remember the days of the old and all your works, because I spread out my hands to you, because I trust in you, because I lift my soul up to you, because I run to you, because you are my God for your name, for your mercy, and because I am your servant. In the previous sermons, we stopped to examine the first argument that gave God the legal right to stand on David's behalf, to help him withstand his enemies. This is evidence of God's truth and righteousness in the heart that are in the limits of the legal field for God's work of redemption, expressed in the multitude of His mercies. And therefore, evidence of righteousness and truth in prayer. Psalms chapter 6, verses 18 Through twenty. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. But certainly God has heard me, He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God who has not turned away my prayer, nor His mercy from me. Why? because he brought and mentioned an argument that his heart dwelled in truth and righteousness. If David were to not uplift his prayer on the foundation of truth and, fa- and righteousness, he would not have, have had the foundation upon which he could be heard by God in his contention with enemies, such as his personal f- flesh, personified sin, and personified death. So personified is not an action, it is a definition of the presence of devil in the face of sin and in the face of death. And in order to uplift our prayer in the legal field of truth and righteousness, it is necessary for our transgressions to be blotted out before the face of God so that we could not see them in our hearts. As David said, if I were to have seen the transgressions of my heart, then the Lord would not have heard me. In other words, for us not to see the transgressions in our heart, our heart must be cleansed from dead works through our cooperation with truth, unveiling for us the powers of the redemptive blood of the Lord Jesus, in which God reconciled the world, not imputing man his iniquity, we are talking about people who recognize, confess, and leave their sin and accept God's justification as a gift of God's reigning grace. A Psalm of David, Psalm 32, verses 1 through 2. Psalm of David, a contemplation. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. If we just reread, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, this will simply just be a slogan. But here it is written that this is a teaching. And therefore, the teaching, as we know, is, is light it's necessary to see how it defines who these transgressions are are forgiven, whose sins are covered, how, on what conditions, and what, on what conditions does this occur. And so, in prayer battle with our own flesh, which is in the reigns of personified sin and personified death, to be heard by God, it is necessary to be in the limits of the legal field or the framework of God's truth and righteousness. And for this purpose, we needed to examine what was the foundation for David of such a bold statement and assertion brought before God as evidence that he is in the limits of truth and righteousness. How was he able to gain this kind of virtue in this kind of state? Or what price and what conditions must be fulfilled on our end to have these vital foundations. To answer these questions and in this manner receive the opportunity to take off our sinful nature that is in the reins of personified sin and personified death and in this manner to be clothed in our new man, we will need to examine these questions. what is truth and righteousness and what purpose do they fulfill what is contained in the price for being in truth and righteousness how do we keep ourselves in truth and righteousness and what results will be yielded from knowing truth and righteousness in the boundaries in which we could turn god's goodness upon us in his mercy or the boundaries in which we could work with the manifold powers of god reflected in his mercies When examining the first two questions, who or what is Truth and Righteousness in its nature and by definition and what purpose are Truth and Righteousness called to fulfill in our heart, we arrived at the following, that Truth and Righteousness should not be viewed as twins, although they resemble one another, just like a daughter resembles her mother and a son resembles his father. Because in Scripture, righteousness comes from truth. In other words, truth reproduces herself in righteousness just as a father reproduces himself and his son, and just as a a seed reproduces itself in fruit. From this, truth is the root that defines the state of a person's heart. Whereas righteousness is the truth that is grown from this root and is a manifestation of this state. From this, we note that righteousness or justice is truth in action or result of the action of truth in our heart. And so, to practice judgment or justice and righteousness, it is necessary to have a kind of truth in our heart that would protect or that would yield the state of our heart. And this kind of state was supposed to be gained, only gained through the genetic inheritance that could be inherited only through the lineage of Abraham, whom God made the father of all believers, those who were circumcised and those who weren't. Because righteousness can only come from a heart of a person that has truth and the heart of a person who is born from the seed of truth. Therefore, however the heart of a person may be, so will his actions be. Because out of the good heart, where truth is, comes God's righteousness and the judgments of God that show mercy to the vessels of mercy and wrath to the vessels of wrath. Whereas out of an evil heart that does not contain truth comes evil that defiles man and relates him to the category of vessels of wrath. We know that we are talking about people who relate themselves not to the rank of the wicked, but the rank of the righteous. And so, the purpose of truth and righteousness in our heart It is necessary to cooperate with the multitude powers of God expressed in the multitude of His mercies that are called to. First and foremost, blot out our sins before the face of the Lord. Now the third question What is contained in the price? for being in the limits of the legal field of truth and righteousness? Or, how do we keep ourselves in the limits of the legal field of truth and righteousness? Or rather, what conditions are necessary to fulfill for our heart to be contained in the limits of the legal field of truth and righteousness? That is called to serve in our heart as boundaries in an atmosphere in which we could work together with the multitude powers of God yielded in His multitude of mercies and so the price for being in truth and righteousness according to words of scripture there is a price that is needed to be paid in order to be contained in truth and and righteousness that we could work together with the multitude mercies of God, and this price is in the next components. The first component of the price for the right to be contained in truth and righteousness is the acceptance of a delegated authority of God in the face of a messenger sent by Him, out of whose words flows a song that sings of God's righteousness. Isaiah 24:16. From the ends of the earth we have heard songs, glory to the righteous. If the Earth was flat, then the phrase ends of the Earth could be understood literally. And today there are those people out there that try to explain it this way, that the Earth is flat. But because the Earth is round, the phrase ends of the Earth in the original has several different meanings. Ends of the Earth in Hebrew means shadow of the Almighty, veil of the Almighty, wings of the Almighty, and boundaries of the Almighty. Based on the meaning of the ends of the earth, there is an image that depicts the messengers of God from whom flows a song that praises God's righteousness and the judgments of His truth. Because God's messengers are followed by His chosen remnants, the phrase from the ends of the earth, we have heard songs, glory to the righteous, could be heard in these versions. From those under the shadow of the Almighty, we hear a song, Glory to the Righteous, So the price that we need to pay in order to be found under the shadow of the Almighty. From those that rest under the veil of the Almighty, we hear a song, Glory to the righteous from those under the wings of the Almighty, we hear a song, Glory to the righteous and from those on the boundaries of righteousness, we hear a song, Glory to the righteous from those that accept the delegated authority of God over them, We hear a song, Glory to the righteous In this manner, the song that sings of God's righteousness which comes from His truth is the magnified fulfillment of God's praise for His righteousness, shown in the heart of a person in the multitude of God's mercies. From this it follows that those people who wordly praise God, express in the image of ends of the earth, are people who have powers to call on God or enter into the presence of God and are defined by Scripture, as kings and priests. We are referring to those who go forth and those who follow them. Both have the right and of them it is talking about them as the ends of the earth because those who follow the messengers of God are going to receive the same reward and nothing else. They will receive receive the reward that the messenger of God will also receive the same reward that Christ had received. Remember Brother Arkady, pastor on Friday, says, all that is written about scripture through the laws and prophets and psalms concerning me. He is the head of the body and the body His body is us. The second price or component of the price for the right to be contained in truth or righteousness is payment for the knowledge of truth about redemption. Job 19, verses 25 through 26, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and He shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. To be sure in the rightness of our deen means to work with God in the knowledge of truth about redemption, which makes us free from sin and close us into worthy servants of righteousness. And for us to pray as David prayed, it is necessary for us to first and foremost be rid of sin. If we accept redemption on the on boundaries or basis of God, it makes us free from sin and close us into worthy servants of righteousness. I think I will not have enough time to finish today, but uh, it is it is quite blessed if we would have listened to all of it. However, I think if we have another opportunity, I will continue this specific thought or topic, because there is a lot that I would like for us to hear and to think about. And for this to be a great affirmation for us, let us now pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we turn to you with thanksgiving for the right to be called and to be your children, to be your disciples, your heirs. I thank you, Lord, that in Christ Jesus have become the God of strength for us, a rock. Fortress, Deliverer, Rock, Rock of Salvation, Horn of our Salvation, Refuge. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy. I thank you that you have redeemed us from the vain life passed on to us from our fathers. You have redeemed us from the law of sin and death and have led a new law, the law of spirit of life in Christ Jesus. You have placed our feet on the firm foundation which is our church. We thank you, and we bow down before your sacrifice on Golgotha. We thank you for the good wife and the dignity of narrow gates, which we have found when we begin to reject our intellect, our old man, and when we begin to listen and hear what the man of God says, and that the word of God to reign over us I thank you for this for the opportunity to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God this is the great revelation for your people to see ourselves in this way I thank you for our calling to be clothed to warriors of prayers in order to declare your works your perfections, to declare your words your judgments your promises, which were perhaps at one time unknown to us, but when we begin to know your revelations, or know your promises, became for us close and familiar, because when we begin to proclaim them, we accepted the scene. Yes, we cried when we sowed, but We reap this joy in our life, seeing that our new man is capable, and he shows
1: us what does not have a part in us, as we are
0: found under the blood of Christ. I thank you for these promises that have become joy for us, victory, food, that we are able to, with joy, to say that your word has become a lamp for our feet, that the word of man, intellectual, not divine, we despise, and it is not a light for our feet, because all that was human we left, we have followed you, having submitted our intellect, having submitted our carnal state to your will and we became like the Gibeonites in the temple we began to cooperate with you and I thank you Lord I thank you for the apostles teachers, pastors, evangelists those whom you have sent upon this great calling and we thank you that you have opened our ears and that we have not challenged this word we have submitted our hearts although we suffered we were sick but we rejoice in the fact that we have a circumcised ear and can hear that word that you have prepared for each each day for us we thank you for that manna that we are able to gather daily and for our tables our spiritual tables always have that which we can accept accept with joy that which we could keep on the table of chillbreads. we thank you for this care
1: that is expressed
0: and that you have given us your word through your messengers. We thank you, Lord, for our pastor, for his spouse, his house. May he be blessed in all that he does. We rejoice in the fact that we are able to submit ourselves. We might think just to man, but we submit ourselves to you. We proclaim, we proclaim you as our teacher, our pastor. He who is disobedient is disobedient to God. And I thank you that you have united us through the blood of Jesus Christ and that we can be called brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. We have left our nations, our households, and our heart has clung to the people of God. I bow down before you along with your people, and I hallow your holy name, our almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the hand of the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now, friends, let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling,